Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Brothers and sisters, thank you for joining us. Uh, and the, this last Bible study of this year, we are about to enter a new season. Praise the Lord. Hopefully, it is one full of hope and joy and knowledge that God is in control. Yes, we are under the grip of a pandemic. Yes, a lot of our economies are teetering on the brink. And there is a lot of darkness and gloom and despair. But the Lord is life and the Lord is hope and our faith tells us that God is in control, as does uh, the Bible of which we study. And so we pray that, um, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts are not only acceptable to the Lord, but they're also a blessing to each and every one of us. Now, we believe that the Holy Spirit is present. The Lord has given us his spirit uh, as we wait for his coming back. And so he's here and we acknowledge his presence through the act of prayer. And so, sister, would you pray us into our study? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that uh, uh, for this group of people who come together to listen to your word, Father, we ask that you would uh, bless the words of Aaron's mouth. And Father, that our discussion would be pleasing to your ears. Father, we thank you that you are always with us. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we thank you that your mercies are new every day. Great is your faithfulness. So, Lord, uh, open our hearts, our minds uh, to your word, uh, and may our conversations be pleasing to your ears. In Jesus' precious name, in the name of uh, Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Okay, as is our tradition, we go through the uh, notes from last week, which was actually a lively discussion. And... Um, the notes are attached both on download for those who are listening on podcast and in the chat box um, as we speak. So our notes from Leviticus 9. On the eighth day, Moses finishes his work in the tent of meeting and Aaron takes up his role as the high priest. Jewish festivals are often eight days in length and the covenant of circumcision is performed on the eighth day. symbolically. This is perfection plus one. The presence of the Lord was the final goal of all the elaborate ritual and ceremony of the previous seven days. Moses says that today the Lord will appear to you. Now, this raises the questions, how will he appear? And where has he been all this time if he's only appearing now? Surely the Lord has been leading and guiding the people since the departure from Egypt. In trying to fathom the mystery of God's presence, we know that the Lord had instructed the building of the tabernacle, yet the, literal, the text literally says that God wanted to dwell in them and not it. Moses now says the Lord <clears throat> will appear, yet the people assemble before the Lord. In the mystery, we see that God is both present and his presence will come in glory. First, through the people, the altar, and the, first though, the people, the altar, and the sanctuary have to be purified and atonement has to be made. 
Moses calls for Aaron to draw near, begging the question, where was he? In Jewish exegesis, the commentators say how ashamed Aaron was at constructing the golden calf. Now, this is actually a beautiful picture of God's mercy and forgiveness. Despite his sin and shame, the Lord calls forth Aaron to serve before him. And Aaron has been purified and he's been made holy by the blood on him and on his garments. So Aaron now takes the blood of various sacrifices and he places it on the right side of the altar. Same thing happened to him. Both the priest and the altar were part of the same sacrificial system. The priest was a kind of living altar and was consecrated with blood in the same manner as the physical structure. Aaron lifts his hands and he blesses the people. Now, one of the priestly functions is to bring the people into the presence of the Lord and to return to the people the blessings of God. Which blessing does he use to bless the people? Well, while the text in Leviticus doesn't say, the traditional exegesis notes that it was the Aaronic benediction of Numbers 6. Moses and Aaron then return inside the tent of meeting, although no explanation is provided as to why. Perhaps this is Aaron's first time inside the Mishkan. Perhaps Moses instructs him on how to prepare uh, the, uh, the unique incense that was used before the Holy of Holies or how to prepare the menorah. When they emerge, they once again bless the people. Interestingly, we see two advents, two occasions of blessing, and then the glory of the Lord appears. The glory, kavod in Hebrew, means weight or heavy. God is heavy in goodness, in purity, in holiness, in love, in mercy, etc. In all of his characteristics, he is heavy and he is full of. How does the Lord appear to the people of Israel? Through fire. Fire proceeds from the presence of the Lord and it consumes the offerings on the altar. The fire on the altar was to be an eternal flame. God begins the process and a partnership continues with humans as our task is to tend the flame started by heaven and to keep it alight on earth. The people are not afraid. Rather, the emotion that they have is joy at God's presence with the immediate response of worship. And so after all this worship, we now enter chapter 10. And chapter 10, fascinating chapter, breaks with the traditional uh, rendition of a series of laws and commands to enter into a thing of narrative. We have a story. Now, what you get inside the Torah in the five books of Moses, you get laws, that is true, but you also get lots of stories. Now, most of us love the stories because there is so much packed inside them. So here we go. We're going to read the story, chapter 10, of um, some sons of Aaron, an unfortunate event of Nadav and Avihu. I'm reading from the ESV version. Now, Nadav and Avihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and they put fire in it and they laid incense on it, and they offered 
unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and it consumed them and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and they carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Elazar and Ithamar, his sons, do not let the hair of your heads hang loose and do not let your clothes and do not tear your clothes, lest you die and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the words of Moses. And the Lord said to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Now Moses spoke to Aaron and to Elazar and to Itamar, his surviving son. Take the grain offering that is left of the Lord's food offering and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in the holy place because it is your due and your son's due on the Lord's food offerings, or so I have commanded. But the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you. They are given as your due and your sons due from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the, of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with the food offerings of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be yours and your sons with you as a, as, as a due forever, for the Lord has commanded. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Elazar and Itamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you, that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary, as I commanded. And, Mo and Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard this, he approved. All right. Wow, there was a lot there. Okay, guys, so based just on an initial surface reading, what are your first reactions? And then we're going to go in to the text. So Vida or David? One of the things I'm really curious about in this chapter, it seems that Moses said to, or Moses said to Aaron, don't mourn about this thing. Don't mourn the death of your sons, right? Rather do this and this and then this. 
because the Lord's God's anger is still there. It's, it's, it's as though if any of them shifted out of place and did not follow exactly what Moses did, the anger of the Lord would follow through on something else. That surprises me because uh, is that because they hadn't made an atonement? For that? How, how do you put it this way? Is how, did that, how was that anger alleviated? That's a really good question. Okay, let's just hold on to that as we go. So one of the issues is obviously the Lord's angry. Why is he angry? How long does he hold on to his anger? Where, where, where's the mercy of God or, or all those characteristics that we seem to identify sometimes, okay, with the Lord? Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a good thought. Excellent. Okay, Yvonne and then Janet. Yeah, uh, I think a couple things. It's interesting how in Leviticus you just have how the, the, the verse 9, the glory of the Lord appeared to them. So there's this glory event uh, coming down, and then immediately afterwards you have a horrible, disastrous uh, sin, just like the same thing at, at Mount Sinai, right after God's appearing at the, this, you know, the appearance at Sinai, then right after, soon after the golden calf. So it's interesting, right after the appearance of the Lord, then you have this. Um, yeah. And isn't it interesting that we find in our modern day, something really good happens, and then immediately we think, uh-oh, uh, the enemy is coming, something bad will happen now. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Which is very interesting. Or the other verse that when you're, uh, I, I don't know how in the, I know that in Portuguese, but when you're when you're standing, be careful that you don't fall. So those are the moments I think we need to be more careful when the, you know the glorious events, and then and then the other thing is the again the measure for measure me da connected me da. It's the measure for measure. He, you know they offered the fire. The uh, it was not appropriate, and then they were burned by the fire. What so, yeah? What's interesting is. At, in chapter 9, you have the fire came out from the Lord. The exact same words appear here. You know, in the first case, it's very positive. In this case, it's interesting. Okay, so Janet, you're next, and then we might go into the actual text. Um, yeah, what, what kind of came to me is um, just after this happened, Moses speaks to Aaron and says, you know, um, he's, he's maybe coming to a new level of knowing what the holiness is going on here. But then in verse 8, Yahweh speaks to Aaron. And I, <clears throat> I'm not sure if that's the first time that Yahweh has addressed Aaron directly and gives him another sort of, uh, you know, he's, he's given a, a higher lesson than what the holy and the profane are. Um, and, and you're going to be teaching the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. So I'm, I'm not sure because I haven't read the other chapters previously whether uh, and it seems like you know this terrible thing has just happened to Aaron's sons and then you know you can't mourn you can't do this and you better stay in there because you've got the anointing on you too and as Moses recognizes and then and then Yahweh comes to to Aaron and says you know you've got a you're this is another higher standard no drink no no strong drink um and uh you you got to really know the difference between the holy and the, the unclean and the clean, which Roddy brought out. So are they being brought even to more understanding of what's holy? So there's some great questions there. You, we do find that in the beginning of the book, God talks to Moses the most. Say Moses to the sons of Aaron or say to the sons of Israel, whatever. And um, it, it, may, it may be one of the first times that the Lord directly speaks 
to to Aaron, which is very important. Aaron is is now taking up the role of high priest. Moses did it for the first week. Now he hands over the role, and we we get the um, this thing. Plus, also Aaron is also now wearing the urim and the uh, thummim. He now has this direct communication device. But Aaron, the anointings on Aaron now. That's also true. And, and even Moses had mentioned it. You've still got the oil on you. So you can't even leave this property because of something, which is uh, very interesting. I mean, there is, it's an incredible story. And there's actually a lot, of, a lot of teaching that comes in. So let's now start having a look at, uh, at the text. And I'll throw out some questions and we'll see how we go. See what we can learn as disciples of the Lord. So verse 1. Nadav and Abihu, these are two of the four sons of Aaron. Now they take fire, a sensor, a little um, a device that contains um, coals and, and, and hot fire and, you, and with which you would put little um, uh, pieces of incense, which is resin, and it creates incredibly really nice smells. And, uh, and they put fire in it, incense in it, and they offer unauthorized fire, although in Hebrew um, uh, it, it is translated as strange fire. Yeah, zara, yeah? Yes, strange fire. So what's, what's going on? Mordecai, you got a few ideas? Like what, what, what's the problem with, with worshipping the Lord when you feel like it? Well, first of all, they were drunk. Okay. It was the day after, the, uh, most likely the last day, e- evening of the last day of the inauguration. So after the party, they were super drunk and they just wanted to enter the Holy of Holies. And they brought their incense with them, which is prohibited to bring and enter the Holy of Holies. So they just decided to have some fun, I guess. And at the end, God had some fun with them. So, <laughs> Now, why do you say, because the, the verse 1 doesn't say anything about their state. Where do the Jewish people get the idea that they're drunk, Mordecai? You will see in verse 9, I think. Okay, so what does verse 9 say? It says, do not drink inoxidating wine, you and your sons with you, when you come to the tent of meeting, that you will not die. So they were drunk. Yep. So that, that's where you get the, the, the idea that verse 1 doesn't quite under, tell you what's wrong with the kids. Why would they do something wrong? Remember, Exodus was very specific. There's a particular type of incense that you offer to the Lord, no other. And um, you can't just make up your own recipe. There was a particular smell God delighted in, and uh, this doesn't. And then so verse 9 does say, Drink no wine or strong drink, or you and your sons, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. So there was this particular command, which appears to come out of nowhere. But in context, it may appear that, uh, you know, Moti's quite right. Our little friends have been partying quite well, as they were, sh- were commanded to. It's not a sin to party before the Lord and rejoice. However, they were not at this time meant to do what they did. There were certain times when they could come before the Lord and offer certain things before the Lord. All right. So there's a couple of hands raised. Mordecai, you got any other comments before I go to the hands? So like think, think like that. It was the evening of the last day of the integration. There are two drunk sons of Aaron 
who entered the Holy Folly, they brought fire and incense of their own, which is prohibited. And they were just like trying to, maybe they, they wanted to do something good in the eyes of God, but we are not sure. Since they were drunk, maybe they were just having some fun. So, <laughs> yeah. And then at the end, God spoke to them through a fire from heaven. So. Well, incense is an interesting thing, is it not? Because we, let's be honest, we in um, the, the predominantly, uh, our Christianity that's presented here is predominantly Western uh, slash Protestant. Uh, we tend not to do incense in our tradition. Smells seem to be um, foreign to us. Um, however, incense was always a part of Jewish worship. It is the sign of the priesthood. In fact, the magis who visited Mary and Jesus Christ, they brought frankincense and mirror and gold with them because they acknowledge, uh, acknowledge that Jesus holds the priesthood. Yeah, so how, how did these guys know? How did these wise men from the East know to bring these type of gifts? Well, we read it in the book of Daniel that Daniel was the head of these magis or these guys. So he told them the exact date and what kind of personality he might he would be. So these guys knew from their oral tradition. Or they in fact, maybe they had it written in their archives. I don't know. Could be, yeah. So Daniel was living with these magis. He was head of them. He was the, like the Rosh Magi there under the king. So and they knew it from it. They they knew the star, they knew the exact date of birth, you know. And they followed the star and came to the house and they offered their uh, mirror and frankincense, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, it, it, I find it quite fascinating. Uh, Daniel becomes, even according to Jewish tradition, and it's recorded in the, in the Talmud, that he is Rav Maji. He is the chief of the magicians. He passes on this idea. These, these, these magicians come and, and two of their gifts, out of the three gifts, are, are fragrances. And yet we in the Protestant world, we have a real abhorrence to fragrance as part of our worship. And I, I find it's a, a detriment to our tradition. That doesn't mean I need, I think we should all run out and start burning candles and all that kind of stuff. But we should, we should acknowledge that the sense of smell is a God-given gift. We all delight to smell things good. I know you do. You love the smell of roses. You love the smell of good food. You love the smell of coffee. Well, it's not coffee. You love the smell of tea. Okay? And smell is, is one of our senses, and we should worship God with all of our body, and that includes our sense of smell. So we shouldn't be abhorrent to, to, to incense, especially when we acknowledge two gifts given to Jesus were incense. Don't they use it in the Catholic and Orthodox churches, and even in uh, some of some Anglican churches right now? The incense, they yeah, they it. still do. Yes, they they still do. Yeah, the higher Anglican churches, they they still offer incense. And um, uh, I I always like the shuk in Jerusalem. When you walk down the shuk, you can smell incense. You can smell frankincense, and uh, you think, wow, my gosh, what's that? What's that smell? It's a, it's 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 a. When the three guys came and bought gold. They said, you know, others who bought gold also got incense and frank or frankincense and uh, myrrh, just like Amazon. Just like, okay, yeah. 
I just have a real quick thought. It's just a two-second thing I'll throw in there. Because uh, in my footnotes, it says, instead of taking the incense fire from the bronze altar, they had some other source. So I guess it was supposed to come directly from the bronze altar, eh? What we do know from Exodus is that God had given specific commandments and even a recipe. This is the actual uh, type of smell that is mine. You can have any other smell you, you, you like. You can have um, Invictus, Boss, you know, Hugo. You can have um, whatever um, great incense and fragrance you like. But this, this one, this one is mine. Um, not sure why God likes this particular smell. We can ask him one day. However, it does reflect on, on, on for all of us that even the sense of smell is a, is, is a part of our worship. Uh, Vida or David, you've got a hand raised, and then Jennifer. I was just going to say, even though we, and I agree that it tends to imply that they were drunk, it goes on in verse 10 to say to distinguish between the holy and the unholy and the clean and the unclean. And so the drunken state tended to show them that they weren't holy, that they, they were doing common things and God is holy and we need to reverence him and follow his will. So that's what I, I'm seeing, that being drunk actually led them to do things that were common and unholy. And one quick question is, what does Nadab and Abihu uh, mean as the root in Hebrew? Because usually names have a, a, a meaning. What do those two names mean, if there's anything? Avihu means uh, he's the father, like Avihu, but I'm not sure about Nadav. Nadav is a type of vow, I think, but I'll have to um, confirm that. Lindov, okay, I think is the, is the verb. And to that point, um, uh, 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 Vida, it says too that they were just being betrayed, their carelessness, their irreverence and lack of consideration, like you were saying, like they were just being careless, like you said. Yeah, but it, it's a reflection of their intoxication um which they which they which they shouldn't have done at, at this time they were they were instructed they had the knowledge of what to do and they did the opposite in front of the lord let's also remember that um the sons of eli or eli as sometimes we say when he was in shiloh they performed their sins right in front of the baroche before shmuel comes and you think how how do people do evil in front of the Lord? But if we're absolutely honest, let's be 100% honest, we all do that. And I ask a very fast question in this, in this direction. Is there a, uh, to put incense with prayers, so is the Lord God saying in this respect that he actually tastes the prayers? Oh, that's interesting. Smells. Well, he smells the prayers. Yeah. He smells Smells them, yeah. That's right. Our prayers are as incense, which is a psalm, and also what you see also in Revelation, that there is incense before the Lord, and and the the angel says these are the prayers of of the saints. Okay, Jennifer from America. Hey, God bless America. God bless Somebody America. Pray for us. Somebody pray for us over here. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. I'm not an expert in any way, shape, or form, so I, I looked it up, and I got this uh, commentary, and it says, um, the sin of Nadab and Abihu was of a complicated nature and involved and consisted of several transgressions, and he lists like four of them here. Okay. Number one, they took each his own censer and not the sacred utensils of the sanctuary. That's yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Two, 
They both offered it together, whereas the incense was only to be offered by one. Um, number three, they presumptuously encroached upon the functions of the high priest, for according to the law, the high priest alone burnt incense in a censer. Um, okay, the ordinary priests only burn it on the golden altar in the holy place or on the brazen altar as part of the memorial. And number four, they offered the incense at an unauthorized time since it was apart from the morning and evening sacrifice. A lot of mistakes they have made, right? <laughs> Don't drink that much. <laughs> Bunch of little ones, but to the casual non-Levitical priest type like myself, I'm like, what's going on here? What's the problem? Good job, Jen. It's a big problem for God, though. Yeah. It, it, it shows a, a, a spirit. It does show a spirit of rebellion. Remember our friends the uh, sons of Korah or, the, or Korah and his group who were Levitical priests. You know, all we want to do is worship the Lord. But we have to remember when worshiping the Lord, do you want to do it on your terms or do you want to do it on God's terms? Mm -hmm. If your response is, well, I'll do it on my terms because the Lord loves me, I've got a suspicion that our heart might be in the wrong place. And, and we have to remember that an incredibly holy God who turns around and says, these are, certain, these are the times that you can come before me. These are the people that can come before me. And this is the type of worship that I'll accept. Um, do that. And I'm, I'm right here. I'm not going to leave. I'm going to be your shield and defender. I'll provide the manna in the morning and I'll provide water from the rock. I'll fight your enemies for you and your clothes will never wear out. I'm, I'm right here. And yet people still can't accept those blessings. They've still got to have God on their turn. And it's a, it's a problem that we see in the modern world and it's a problem that we see in antiquity. And here we have an incredible lesson. Let's treat God on his terms and, uh, and, and the way he, he delights to be worshipped. Okay, so two more hands are raised. Uh, Janet and Yvonne, I'll go with Canada and then Brazil. Yeah, it makes me think of when Yeshua said, you've done all these things in my name, but I've never known you. You cast out demons, you've done this, that, and the other. Very nice, Janet. Thank you I very much. I don't know you. Very nice. Nice. That's, nice. A, that, that's a hard teaching. It's a very hard teaching. And yep, yet, it's true. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ooh. let's all let's all, you know, as we as we head into the new year, let's worship the Lord on his terms. Let's do his will. Let's see the world through his eyes. Let's love the way he does. And uh, we'll all be all be so much better for it. OK, Brazil, you're up. Yeah, it's interesting because he reiterates this on the Day of Atonement in chapter 16 at the very beginning. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near to the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time in the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark. So he may not die. So it's interesting that he reiterates the idea and how you said on going on his terms and what are his terms? It's his time and his place. Uh, and he, re he reiterates that at the very beginning of, 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 the, of the day of atonement of Yom Kippur. Um, again, time and place. Be careful. Time and place. Very interesting. Yep. So let's have a look at uh, the next verse. So um, our, our unfortunate brothers have died. Fire, it says in verse 2, comes out from before the Lord, which is exactly the same language we see in the previous chapter. 
which it was a good thing at that time. It created the eternal flame uh, and it consumes them and they die before the Lord. Very, uh, very horrific. Verse 3, Moses says to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. Mm, so Aaron held his peace. And there are two things there. Interesting, isn't it? Close to the Lord, holy. And what do they reflect? Glory to the, to the, to the rest of the people. Very interesting. But this is very interesting that in Hebrew it says, who are shared the very of the mind. Like me, basically, of this did Hashem speak. So that's how he speaks when you make him angry. Isn't that interesting? So like he says, God has spoken through fire and burned them alive. So yeah, judgment. Very horrific, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, without, without actually using language, using actions. They probably ask God, oh, did you like our offering? He says, oh, let me speak. Yeah. <laughs> that was my answer. So... For those of us who wish to draw close to the Lord, um, let's also remember that our, our, when we draw close to the Lord and, and, and enact his will, then this is to be a glory to the people, to, the, to those that are seen. So we have to take this very seriously that, um, when approaching the Lord and enacting his will. We're not trying to do things in our own right and in our own way, in our own theologies, in our own understanding, we, we have to do it with, uh, with God's way. It's not always easy, I understand. How does this apply to where, um, in John, where it says that God is seeking, obviously we know there's Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but how does that imply to this? Because basically he's saying the same thing here, in a sense. So how do we tie that to this? Could, could you just repeat that? Because you just, for me, you dropped off for a bit. Sorry. In John, it says worship, God seeking those to worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh-huh. So how can we link that to this now? Oh, very good. Um, it's very interesting that one of the first prayers in liturgical churches, for those that attend liturgical churches, one of the first prayers they say is, Lord, please, Cleanse my heart, because I, I know I've come before you, not as clean as I want to be. I have, I've answered the call to come before you, but I get it. I'm not 100% clean. Please, by your spirit, let my heart worship you in spirit and truth. So they, they sort of kind of, they, they understand within liturgical churches that we're entering into a very holy moment, that we don't want to be like Nadav and Avihu. We don't want to be like Korah. We don't want to be like others who have come in their own mind, in their own way, in their own arrogance, perhaps, and perhaps a few other things, own pride maybe, but instead have actually come humbly to say, hey, I'm, I'm here because you, you want me to be here. I delight to be in your presence. I get it. I'm not clean. Make me clean and I'm here. I'll worship you in the way you want. Fill me with your spirit. Open my lips and away we go. And, um, and that's a really good prayer to start with. Um, and then I've got, a, I've got a suspicion that the root of that theology actually comes from incidents like this, where they looked at the history of the Jewish people and went, wow, God really actually cares about his holiness. And he really actually cares about his sanctity. And you can't just show up whenever you feel like it in arrogance and think that you're going to uh, worship the Lord. He'll, 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 um, speak in a way you might not like to be spoken to, as Mordecai mentioned. 
Okay, Sharon? And yeah, and even, you know, judge you very firmly kind of reminds you of Ananias and Sapphira, but even the concept too that, you know, with um, with the Lord, you uh, like you can't sort of pick and choose, like you want to understand the whole counsel of God, like it says in the New Testament, you know, under, understand the whole scripture and sort of, yeah. it's common in North America for people to kind of pick and choose what they like. It's like, oh, I don't like that verse, you know, God's too harsh there, or, you know, God's sure. not very nice there. And it's like, here's God and he's pretty powerful and pretty holy and you don't want to cross him, you know? Yeah. And I actually find it all combined that this is the characteristic of the Lord. He is holy. He is powerful. He is mighty. He's incredibly salvific and his mercy is everlasting and he's more faithful than I've ever been. Okay. Which we see in the Psalms. Um, And they're all at the same time. They're all wrapped in the same, in the same being. Okay, so in verse 4, Moshe calls the remaining two sons. Now, could you just imagine these two guys are probably sweating bricks by about now, okay? So Mishael and Elzaphat, okay? Um, the sons of Uziel, these are actually the, 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 the nephews, the, the uncle of Aaron. And you better carry your brothers away from in front of the sanctuary, so these little burnt husks. And so they come out and they carry them away in their coats because obviously there's not much left of them. <laughs> okay, it's a bit unfortunate. And they, and they take them away. Now, verse 6, Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and his sons, do not let the hair of your heads hang loose or unkempt or whatever that means, not 100% sure. Um, kind of wish I'd had a haircut before um, today's Bible study. But um, I apologize. I'll get that fixed up. Uh, and But look at this. Do not tear your clothes. What? Okay. Lest you die and the wrath of all the congregation. But let your brothers in the whole system Israel bewail and the burning of the Lord is kindled. Okay. Any comments about this ripping, this prohibition to rend your garments, Mr. High Priest? For me, this is fascinating because here when they rent their garments, they go into like a mourning for their son. And God is saying, don't you dare go into mourning. And because God's done a righteous judgment. And I find this fascinating when we hear, when we go to Revelation, when all these judgments come out on the earth, we see the angel saying, you know, just and true are you, Lord God Almighty, because of your, because they've shed blood of the innocent and just, and they're worshiping God for the judgment. And it's the same what God is saying, my judgment is right, just, holy, and, and perfect, and don't you mourn for it. Yeah. What about the idea of rend your heart, not your garment? Does that not take play here? That I'm sure that has reference to this as well, absolutely. Uh, Mordecai and I were discussing. Where where do we see the high priest rend his garments that perhaps he should not have? With Lord Jesus. Yeah. And you see in the New Testament, he goes, and so this guy's for blasphemy and he pulls his garments. He should never have done that, ever. You know, this is here's this command. Okay, Aaron's just had his sons burn up by fire in front of the Lord. Okay. And the high priest of Caiaphas has had some. Jewish guys, you know, be, be uh, accused of being the Messiah. Under no circumstance should the guy have gone. Isn't that also a, a spiritual symbol or, or a spiritual sign showing that he's just really, in, in effect, handed the high priesthood over to him it should be? 
could be. There you go. <laughs> I like that. It says, you're not the high priest. You're a load of rubbish. You can't even obey the Torah. I'm a better high priest than you, and I'm even not from the house of Levi. You just wait till I'm in heaven. Okay, that's a, <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad idea. But, um, yes, you do see from the Torah here, you've got this, this incredible command at this horrible time, don't tear your garments, and yet we find the high priest, the New Testament, doing exactly the opposite. Yeah. In fact, they did it for many times, you know. They hit Jesus in the face, right? Even though it, it was forbidden to do so, and it took uh, uh, Rabbi Shaul too, you know. Without even judging him, you know, the high priest asked one of his servants to just well, punch him in the face or something like that. We can read it in the New Testament. But he wasn't allowed to, right? He wasn't. Totally not. The, what, what are they? The Saddam Hussein's of that time? Yeah. There's a, there's a law, and they are the, you know, basically the guys who are committed to uh, stand with the law, but they were just doing something that was 100% against the law. So the second temperature period was a horrible time to live in, I guess. Mm. Yes, we see a lot of corruption, unfortunately, in the, in the priesthood, which is unfortunate. Not, not every priest, that's, that's going too far. But um, in, in some of the characters that we encounter in the New Testament, most definitely. Christine or Tom from uh, America. The gentleman, such a gentleman, David. Thank you. I had my speakerphone unmuted, but not the other one. Okay. So I was just about to say that I was reading, um, just to read from the ESV study Bible here, it, about not mourning. It says here, the ordained priests who are holy ought not to mourn even for the death of their rebellious family members. And then it refers to um, Leviticus chapter 21, verses 1 to 4, where the Lord says to Moses, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and he goes through what they should not do, um, how they you know, not make themselves unclean, they shall not make himself unclean for the dead, among his people, except for his closest relatives, and he goes on and on. So just thought I'll share that. Yeah, it is interesting that they're told um, the difference between mourning and joy. And before the Lord, you're meant to have joy. Now, that, that, that's a little hard sometimes when certain things occur in our, in our life that actually prohibit us from having a large amount of joy. Yet there is there are commands in the Bible, please have joy before the Lord at his time. Um, and, and I find it interesting within um, Jewish tradition and Jewish exegesis that if you're walking uh, along in a funeral procession, that is, you're mourning the death of a loved one or you're helping a friend mourn the death of one of their loved ones. And so you're in a procession. And as you are journeying along, heading towards the tomb, you encounter on the opposite direction a wedding. Have a guess what, what according to the, 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 the Talmud, that is the, the exegesis, based on everything we're reading in the Torah, you're supposed to do. You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to join the wedding. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? You know, here you are holding onto a dead body and there's a wedding coming your way. And you're supposed to go, you know what? You're right. This guy, he... Um, He's not going to worry what we do right now. 
okay? But here in front of me is a new couple starting their new life and they need some joy, they need some blessings, they need stuff. So we're going to put this guy aside for a moment. We'll bury him in a minute. No, no problem. He can, he can wait. And we'll go and do into, into joy. Life triumphs over death. Now, that's hard for us sometimes because of emotions and all kinds of horrible things that occur. But we must always remember that life triumphs over death. And eventually, in the resurrection, because it's the ultimate life, God turns around and says, I'll wipe away everything. Every single thing that, that made you cry, I will make better, which is an incredible, uh, well, it's, it's Jewish theology plus 10. You know, it's, a, it's, it's way out there. Okay, so Sherry, I see you've got a hand raised. Yeah, I was just uh, looking um, at my notes at the bottom, and it says go to Leviticus uh, 21.10, and uh, it says um, the high priest, the one among his brothers who has had the anointing or oil poured on his head and who has been ordained to wear the priestly garments must not let their hair become unkempt or tear his clothes. So I guess he's confirming that they are high priests. Would that be? Would be. Who are high priests? Uh, the, the people who were told not to tear their clothes and let their hair become unkempt to Moses and Aaron and his sons, Eleazar and Ithamar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. They're supposed to, uh, be manicured before the Lord and, uh, to have straight clothing. They're not supposed to appear before the Lord in, in uh, unkempt, uh, fashion. Um, they're meant to have joy, not mourning before the Lord, um, which seems tough, I know, but um, God is joy. God is life. God is not, it's not death, and, uh, and he doesn't allow those things to enter into his presence. Um, okay, we've got two hands raised, and then we'll continue on. So Sharon's next, or is it Nama? We can't remember this. <laughs> Nam and I are just chatting. It's because that verse reminds us of the New Testament verse there about, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And we've just been reading this really good book called Anxious for Nothing. Yep. And it says, lack of joy is a sin for the child of God. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118, verse 24. It was a really cool thought that like, you know, we're commanded to rejoice. You know how it says like, give thanks in all things. Same thing. Yeah, it's not always easy. I always admire, I have to say, um, those people who do, those people who don't have a, very, a lot and yet they can always be thankful. Those, those are real heroes for me. It's like, it's like a choice, eh? It's like you choose yeah. happiness, you know, sure. you have nothing to lose. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's also the spirit has to help you do that. <laughs> but, yes, it is definitely a choice. Okay, David or Vida? Two points. You, you mentioned just now that... Uh, uh, a funeral procession should stop and follow the wedding party, right? Is this what Lord Jesus meant by let the dead bury the dead, you follow me? Could be. And secondly, we're in that verse number six, it's in, my, in the King James it says, uh, the whole house of Israel bewail the burning. This is the bottom part. It says the burning which the Lord hath kindled. Is it possible that that burning that he's talking about, because the fire came from the Lord God, it's holy fire. So you can't actually turn, you can't make anything negative out of it. Is that also, does that also have a play in it? Well, that's a good question. Let's just say that we saw holy fire come out and burn Nadav and Avihu. 
um, would you try and put it out? <laughs> you know, be like, um, I'm not going to touch it. You know, it's like, uh, I'm not 100% sure what I'm supposed to do with this. You know, it's, it's, it is very interesting to think about. Um, but yes, the, the people do bewail because, you know, these sons of, of Aaron, we don't know their character very well, obviously. There's not a lot of background. They might have been well-loved by the people, but they partook of a little too much wine on an inappropriate time and they did some inappropriate things and God judged them for it. Um, that doesn't mean that the people were upset that they were, they were gone. Anyway, uh, in verse 8, the Lord now speaks to Aaron. Very interesting that now he does so. He speaks directly to Aaron in some fashion, saying, drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. He's not saying become uh, uh, non-alcoholics or whatever, prohibitionists, that's fine if you are, but this is in relation to going into the tent of meeting, most likely because the sons had done um, something inappropriate at, with, with alcohol. And it should be a statute forever for your generation. So don't come before the Lord intoxicated. Yeah. Can I say something about this God speaking to Aaron? Please. Directly? Yes. Some rabbi says that God spoke to Aaron directly in reward of, for his silent acceptance for what had happened to his sons. So he basically didn't say anything. And God decided to talk with him because he was just keeping quiet in front of all people, you know. Hmm. He would have something against God, but he didn't, you know. Okay. He just accepted. Yep. So in terms of psychology, God is um, making the first move, so to speak. If you've got two people that are having a, um, uh, a problem uh, in relationship and there's no communication, who makes the first move? God makes the first move, which is interesting. Okay. If that's true. Cool. All right. Verse 10. Here's a good one. All right, friends. This is a big, big piece of theology right here. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the sacred and the profane, and between the clean and the unclean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has commanded. All right. So here's an interesting uh, teaching that we need to be able to distinguish between holy and unholy, sacred and profane. Now, if we're honest and you, you, know, you can get banned by YouTube for even saying such a thing, there is a difference between holy and un un unholy. Our, our world hasn't figured that out anymore. We're so obsessed with making everything the same. That's impossible. White is not black. Red is not green. Blue is not yellow. And it's okay to have a color. It's okay to have um, uh, a bit higher IQ than somebody else. It's okay to be a bit more muscly than somebody else. It's, you know, we, we shouldn't be obsessed with making everybody exactly equal. And there is a distinction here. The Lord himself commands this to be taught to the people. Distinguish yourselves between holy and unholy. We can't seem to do that anymore. Which is really unfortunate. I find it interesting in Hebrews, if I think it is, I think Hebrews 6, it says something about that the, the, the meat, actually the meat of the word is to distinguish between right and wrong. Does it say that in Hebrews? 
I think in Hebrews 6, I'll find it now. Man, I would love it if it did. Because, uh, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to say that if, if, if we don't find separation of holy and unholy in the New Testament, I'll be very surprised. Okay? That is a, that is a biblical teaching from the Lord. He changes not. And even in Revelation, you have holy and unholy things. All through the Bible, you have holy and unholy things. And we need to admit within ourselves, and when it's time for us to approach a holy thing, to do so in the right spirit. It would be better for us if we do. Yeah, it's sorry, it's Hebrews 5, Aaron, the last verse. It says, but strong meat belongs to them that are full age, and those who by reason of use have their senses exercising discerning, discerning both good and evil. Yep. Now, isn't discernment one of the fruits of the spirit? Yes. Yes, yes it is. And um, which, if you have to discern something, which means you have to make a separation or a judgment between two things, that doesn't mean one is worse or less, but it does mean one might be sacred or profane. Now, when we say profane, we don't, we don't mean, oh, that's horrible and therefore it's trash and you can throw it away. So in terms of sacred and profane, in terms of the days of the week, the Sabbath is, is sacred and the other six days are profane. That doesn't mean, you know, Sunday to Friday, we're all having a really hard time and they're horrible. No, they're days made by the Lord. On every single day, he said it was good. But there is a special day, which is sacred. It's, it's, um, it also is in relation to chosen and not chosen. There's a chosen people. That doesn't mean, oh, my gosh, God hates Australians. He hates Canadians. He hates Americans. Okay? No, it's just that there is a group of people that are chosen, and they have a special calling, and they've got things that they need to do before the Lord. Uh, that doesn't mean God doesn't love the non-chosen, because they're just as chosen, but in a different Sounding a little Calvinist. Careful there, Aaron. Oh, stop that, Sharon. Don't put that on me. Okay, but uh, but thank you. Okay. Uh, Janet, you're up. I see your hand raised. Yeah, just briefly. Um, just from what you said about chosen, not chosen, David Parson said at one point, it's a question of precedence for the Jewish people, not necessarily preference, that he does things first. And he puts them in a first place with things, the gospel, whatever. But we have to be careful, you know, not to say, well, he didn't really care about the rest of us. He was just going to deal with them and da-da-da. Um, the other thing I was thinking of is when God establishes, say, male and female, is there a holiness in that? And now we're living in a time where people are saying we don't have male, female, or you must accept that I am... I'm neither male nor female. And not only do you must accept it, you must not say it's wrong, and you must not hold another opinion about transgender or anything else, because you have to accept my... We will not accept anything that distinguishes, like you're saying, everything has to be even. But in that evenness, um, it's very different than respecting someone and saying, well, you're a human being, and I... I I, I, I don't, I, I myself don't accept that you change gender or that gender doesn't matter, but I'm not going to, um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to cancel you, but we're being canceled. And so how do we as believers, um, how do we, how do we live in that? Because as my daughter said, 
it's not enough to say that you don't accept, you're still considered a hater, even if you don't hate the person, but you you disagree with what they're doing. And, and in our culture, we, um, you know, we're, we're not allowed to say anything anymore. That's right. The disagreement has now been labeled hate, which is a very inappropriate use of the word hate and completely disingenuous to the word disagreement, um, which is rather a shame. Um, and, and I don't really know what to say other than I agree with you and all of those sympathies that you've expressed. Um, and, and, and so marriage is between a man and a woman. It's not between two men. That is legalized in Canada. That is legalized in Canada. And, um, or between two women or between two anything. Yeah. It hasn't quite got to people and animals yet, but it might. <laughs> but <it'll get laughs> no, them. really, I'm serious. Yeah, no, we, I understand, and it's, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> but let's continue in prayer to uphold the will of the Lord. We, we all have to remain strong and, uh, and faithful and true. God is faithful and true, and, and we need to too. And that could, that could hurt us. Exactly. And brothers and sisters, we'll have to be prepared to suffer the slings and arrows of the truth. We're, we're facing in Canada, first of all, crisis pregnancy centers will have their charitable status removed. But the same group that want to do that want to remove it from churches. So churches will have to pay taxes and it will cost us. And we have to be ready for that, I think, because it's probably going to happen. I don't want it to happen. It might not happen. but None of us want to live to see these days, as uh, Tolkien said. In, in one of his books, but we do. And, uh, but with the grace of God and the will of God, you know, the, the, the truth that we still have is attractive. I'd like to just rem remind us that what happened at Christmas Eve at Christchurch, right, you know, it was attractive. It was so attractive. We had over 5,000 Israelis turn up over two days. Now, isn't that great? The faith is attractive. So shine your light. Don't give up. It's attractive. And it is so powerful. And, um, yeah, it might hurt. It might hurt. But, it, my gosh, it's attractive uh, because it's solid. I'm going I'm to keep going in verse uh, 12 where Moses says to Aaron and now to his sons, Elazar and Tamar, his surviving sons, who's been an unfortunate in inclusion in the course, take the grain. Now, this is interesting. Take the grain that is left of the Lord's food offerings. There's a variety of offerings that have been at play here. Bread is left. Unleavened bread is left. Now eat it unleavened beside the altar, special place, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due and your sons and Lord from the due offerings and the food offerings that I am commanded. Okay, so that here we have this, all of a sudden, this interesting break. We need to discuss bread. Any thoughts, guys? Bread, holy, special place. Church, communion. Whoa, multi. Unpack that for can you can you get, unpack that for us, buddy? You see, this uh, one was unlived bread, right? So that's yep. what uh, Jesus uh, gave to his disciples and said to do this in remembrance of me. And it says, do it eat in a holy place. So that's why we eat it only in the church, not at our houses. Otherwise, we would just do the communion at our house, right? Very interesting. Isn't it interesting that of all the sacrifices that are left over, all of a sudden we break unleavened bread, 
eat it in a special place. This is yours. Yet, yet if persecution hits us, for example, in various places in the world, and they have to eat it, say, in, in a washroom or something like that, it cannot be an unholy place. I'm sure. I'm sure that that, that would be acceptable. And, that's not, and I don't think that's a problem. What, what, what we've got at the moment is if you deliberately say, I'm not going to church, I'm going to stay home and do things my way, who does that sound like? Nadav and Avihu. I'll do whatever I like. You know, the yeah. sons of Korah, yeah. So it's not to say, as David is saying, you know, if, if we're running from the law, if we're persecuted and we say, guys, you know, let's have a small worship sen- uh, session. Let's break bread and wine. Let's worship the Lord. Let's, let's, let's remember again his presence with us. He's here right now. Okay, I'm sure it's a beautiful thing. But in terms of a public worship service, don't turn around and forego the meeting of together. As Mordecai says, no, wait a second. Where are you supposed to do this? You're supposed to do this in public. You're supposed to do this in a, de- in a building dedicated to the Lord. You're supposed to do this in a place where the entire world knows when you walk in, they know what you're going into. You know? And that's a, that's a real big difference right there. And, um, and I think that's a, a good point. It's most holy. We see it instituted by the Lord. And we have special places that are set um, aside for this. This is part of our distinguishing between sacred and profane. But, Aaron, can I just argue from another point of view? Please do. I I agree with you. I'm not saying we shouldn't go to church. But I, again, in my understanding, if I break bread at home any day of the week because I feel led to do that by the Lord, I don't believe I'm doing anything profane because I do it in holiness. I do it with the Lord, maybe with with David. We're doing a communion. And some people will break bread for a period every day. Some people will do it, you know, not that we shouldn't do it as a community. Obviously, we do. But also to do it at home doesn't mean that's profane. Sure. The only thing I can suggest is, Vida, look at your intention. Exactly. Like, why are we doing it here and not there? Why are we doing it alone and not with another group? Like, what is the motivation? And let's also, like, we don't want to be like Nadav and Abhu. This, this story is one of our role models, as is Korah in, in Numbers. We have to, as, as the Lord is saying, distinguish between the sacred and the profane. If what we do becomes incredibly common and suddenly bread and wine and meeting together becomes just commonplace, then we have lost the intention of worship and we have certainly lost worshiping God in spirit and truth. Aaron, Aaron, every... Go, Yvonne. Well, you know, we we do the bread and wine every every Friday evening. Oh, you mean like on Shabbat? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's another holy time, another holy holy thing that that you do. but I would, as as Jesus says, I would in in Matthew chapter five, you know, he who who teaches people the least of these commandments is the least in the kingdom of heaven. Never stop worshiping together. Never stop the habit of meeting together and form and and binding the the communion of the saints and and greeting together. Um, because if you I've got the spirit and you've got the spirit, 
Now, 100 people together with the Spirit's got to be better than 10, yeah? <laughs> let's, let's, like, you know, we, somebody, somebody's got the gift of discernment. Someone's got the gift of prophecy. Someone, these are all good, good gifts for the body of the Messiah. We need, we need them amongst, uh, amongst ourselves. All right. So, verse 14. Okay, so the, 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 this, the, the bread is very incredibly holy. And then you get this other side of, of the animal. And it, it, it's, it's the breast and the thigh, and he can eat it in a clean place. So this now allows his sons, and then it introduces his daughters. So we've, he's got those as well. The priests are allowed to consume their living in, um, in, in another place, uh, which is probably their own, their own homes, and that is their due. The worker deserves their wage. And the thigh, the kvarim, is contributed uh, contributed uh, as a wave offering before the Lord, it is yours and it is your due. Verse uh, 16, the Lord, that Moses diligently inquired. How did he do that? Not 100% sure, but he was specific about a specific goat for the sin offering and it was all burned up and he was angry. Now, why, why was he angry? Okay. Why have you eaten the sin? Why have you not eaten the sin offering? Okay, something that they didn't do. So you have the sin of omission. So it's not a sin of something you did do. It's a sin of something that you didn't do. Okay, which is just as bad. Right? Not doing good is just the same as doing bad. Sometimes we forget that we think that um, uh, I did. I didn't do any bad. Okay, but I didn't do any good either. Well, that's just as bad, right? In Revelation, even God, Jesus, uh, God or Jesus, one of the two, says, um, I'll vomit you out of my mouth if you sit on the fence. <laughs> okay, you know, um, pick, pick a side, okay? Light or darkness, but don't, don't, don't try gray with me, you know? Um, and, and, and you see that here, that here as well. Okay. Um, so the sin offering of this goat, it wasn't, uh, eaten it was burned up so he's angry with the sons who should have uh, eaten it and um, he says why why haven't you eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary now notice it's a sin offering the sin offering is most holy now isn't that interesting the sin offering it is a most holy thing verse 17 it has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the con who's bearing the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement. The sin offering. The sin offering is bearing the iniquity and it was meant to be consumed by the priest. Okay? Now, it, this is an incredible picture that we see. Moses is incredibly angry. Why is he angry? Okay? He's just watched a couple of his nephews okay, uh, be burned up. His brother, obviously, not altogether happy, but yet he's still angry. Look, something hasn't been done right yet. In, before before the Lord. And it's an incredible teaching. The sin offering is most, most holy. The sin of the assembly, right, the atonement for the entire community hasn't been achieved. So he's thinking really beyond the immediate tent of meeting. He's thinking now of the entire uh, people of Israel. And Aaron's other two sons are involved, eh, Aaron? It's the other two sons involved in this issue. In this issue, you now have... So the two sons that burned up did something bad and two sons didn't do something good. 
Okay, okay. Moses is probably scratching his head, going, "Oh my gosh, my family, man. You know, I'm really in trouble." All relatives. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm I'm gonna go and just like migrate to another family, but uh, it doesn't work that way. But the the the, the it's interesting that is it's an incredible teaching. Verse seventeen. Why haven't you eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary? It is a most holy thing. It has been given to you to bear the iniquity of the of the people to make atonement with them before the Lord, okay? And, uh, and so there is this concept of a sin offering that covers for the sins of the people, very powerful concept, and uh, hadn't been performed, and Moses is, is, uh, is angry uh, about it. But um, uh, it's Mo- uh, Aaron continues to stay uh, silent, but now finally he speaks. Um, behold, his blood has not been brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly should have eaten it as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, so Aaron finally has something to say. And he says, look, let's, let's get a little serious here. Even if we had eaten it, would it have stopped uh, what, what had gone on? I don't get Aaron's comment, Aaron. Okay, let's, let's, let's read what he says. Behold, today... They had they offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these have happened to me. If I'd eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And um, so he's acknowledging that he's saying to to his brother, "Look, um, we get it. Um, We 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 know we should have done it." Not not saying he did. He he's not denying that Moses is correct. So the theology of Moses is correct. So let's let's say that. Okay, Moses' theology is correct. There is a sin offering for the entire people. That's going to show up in the New Testament. So we're not going to dispute that. But in in context, Aaron, as a human, is saying, come on, it was really tough for me right now, okay? And um, I'm your brother. And I could we could have eaten it, but I wouldn't have eaten it in the spirit that I would have eaten it. I wouldn't have uh, How exactly is this going to atone for the sins of the people? Look what just happened to my son, etc., etc. And Moses is like, well, you know what? You're right. Yeah, okay. But the theology is still correct. The theology is still, of the sin offering that covers for the entire people is still the is still the right one. Even Aaron, if he's in immediate mourning, basically from this major judgment, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, at the the very next day, Aaron's going to get up and do his job. Yeah. Now isn't right. Aaron and his sons are going to get up and they're going to do their job because they know that the presence of the Lord is now in the Mishkan. They know that the Shekhinah is now present. And you can't just turn around and say, okay, I kind of need a bit more time, Lord. You know, the Lord's like, take, uh, take as much time as you like. Not. <laughs> okay, I'm here. Time to start functioning. Um, and, uh, and, and there are, there are times when we need to be able to serve the Lord, even in our distress. It's hard. I get it. And I'm not going to say, oh, I'll just go and do, you know, you'll be fine. We need the Lord. We need his spirit. We need encouragement from each other. We need to acknowledge each other's pains as we go through life. That's 100% true. Um, but that doesn't stop the gospel. None of that should ever, ever stop the kingdom of heaven. And uh, nor doing good, nor saying the truth, nor you know, um, uh, sh- sh- uh, sen- sen- do- doing what we can to bless the name of the Lord. We can't take our pain and use that to curse God. 
That's what people wanted Job to do, remember? Curse God and die. Who's allowed to do such a thing? None of us are allowed to do such a thing. And uh, it's hard. I get it. I'm not saying it's easy, but it is still still part of uh, the truth that we see in in these scriptures. It's an incredibly powerful story. You know, we've we've gone through nine chapters of laws and laws and laws, and suddenly we get this incredible little narrative, and the narrative is loaded with theology, okay, Um, which is uh, one of those great things about the Torah. Okay. Sometimes the, the sometimes the narrative is uh, even more instructive than the laws themselves. Okay, I've got three hands raised, and I cannot work out who was first. Okay, David and Vida, go for it. I was just going to make two small comments. It makes me think of the scripture where it's where it says about um, how John the Baptist, Zechariah, his father, when he was in the temple, he was um, he was made speechless by the angel, and yet he couldn't leave that temple until his course was finished. So it's the same principle. Where, oh, yeah. in a, and in the New Testament, we get the statement from God where he says, um, rejoice in all things. Again, us, you know, just always rejoice in everything. Not that we rejoice in our sufferings, that we are suffering, but we rejoice in God. And, and this is the important thing, I think, that this is teaching us, that no matter what we're doing, we have to focus that God is above it all and we have to rejoice in him. Amen. Good, good, good um, analogy. Thanks, Vida, for that. That's amazing. And even rejoice in the suffering too, though, you guys, too, ain't eh, uh, It's hard to say rejoice in suffering, but it is true, but it is hard. I mean, let's all admit, it is not easy to go to a brother who's suffering and say, come on, man, rejoice. You know, the Lord is with you. Like, all I want to do is cry right now. I'll cry with you. But, yeah, but I mean, in so doing, like you turn it into a blessing for yourself and change. Yeah, it I hope so. Better, it yeah. is. Yeah, it is. It is obviously all of our hopes that uh, that the Lord will take our our pain and turn it into into joy. Um, okay, Yvonne, you're next, and then Teresa and Janet. I, I just think it's it's a bit strange. Like if the blood is smeared inside the tent of the meeting, then the animal's carcass is burned outside of the camp. But if the blood is smeared on the altar of burnt offering outside of the tent, then they, the priests are entitled to the meat. Um, I, yeah, I just, it's a little bit strange, the whole concept of them consuming this pure, you know, the sin offering, they're eating this, uh, they're eating, they're consuming this purification offering. I mean, I, I guess it's so strange. Why wouldn't they, if it's, if it's, if it's sin, wouldn't it get burned? Why would they have to eat it? And this, <laughs> It is an incredible, interesting thought. Yes, why do we eat the sin offering? And then you have the red heifer, like if they, sure. if so they touch it, they're contaminated. It's like sometimes you're contaminated, sometimes it, you're not. It's part, of that, it's part of that mystery when, you know, our shepherds stand up with a piece of matzo or bread and say, this is the body of the Lord. What? What am I, some sort of cannibal? No, I'm not eating that, you know, and, and then the Lord's saying, no, no. Do this in remembrance of me. What are you talking about? Um, it's, a, it's an incredible mystery. Perhaps we will never quite understand the full mystery until we say, okay, Lord, I really got to understand. Like, what was all this about? Um, <laughs> but uh, but it, there is something very special for those that um, do, in, do practice uh, communion as a sacred moment and, and, uh, and sacred meal with the Lord. I guess, um, and you know, the concept just to 
finalize, you know, the priest consuming the sin offering mm-hmm. in the sense, like, it's yeah, basically. You, but you don't eat sin. Isn't that interesting? Which we, which we discovered in the previous chapters. You can eat the sin offering, but you're not ingesting sin. As Jesus said, it's not what goes in your mouth that's important, right? It's like, yeah, okay, this is the sin offering. Yeah, 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 but you're not eating sin. You'll do sin. Now, that's funky, okay? Oh, um, that, that's what I'm worried about. Not, not that you're eating a steak right now. Okay. <laughs> okay, so, Teresa, you're up. I just wanted to add that um, for Sukkot, the commandment is to be joyful, and, and I believe that, um, and Mordecai will confirm whether I'm right or wrong, but the, the whole Jewish view was that even if you're sad, you still have to be joyful at the festival. Oh, Teresa, and to add on to that, my husband had COVID at the very beginning of Sukkot. And I mean, he was, he, he went to the hospital, that's when he had COVID and he, with the oxygen and it was, and, but every day, every night gathered my family and my children and we continued to praise God even during like, he kept just, you know, the oxygen levels kept going up and it just kept getting worse. And I thought, gosh, we're commanded to be joyful. And I just, uh, it was a, a challenge, but my children, we'd go to the couch and sing songs and and always give thanks. And, and during that whole time, it was, uh, it's it's wonderful. Nice. Mordecai, you're about to uh, say something about having to rejoice for festivals? No, I said uh, Teresa was right. So. Yep. There you go. It is part of our, one of our, it's one of the only times the Lord takes control of our emotions. Normally, you know, he's, if you're sad, you're sad. If you're happy, you're happy. If you're grumpy, you're grumpy. Okay, you're fine. But uh, on certain, certain times before God's presence, uh, he, he does require us to change our emotions. Interesting. And the emotions flow from our thinking. So as a man thinks in himself, so is he, Proverbs. So if you want to change any thought or any behavior, you change the thinking that's driving that, right? So you can change anything, basically. That is an incredible skill to have, yes. <laughs> and yes. thankfulness leads to joy as well, if you focus also on true. being thankful. In all things, yes. Begin to enter into the courts of the Lord with thankfulness. So um, I know that uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, sing David's praise here. David Pelegi, our um, beloved rector of Christchurch, um, if, for those of you who know him or don't know him, um, whenever he engages in prayer, the first thing he does is thank the Lord for something. Even if he's got to pray, even if he said, can you please pray for my mom? Okay. But he'll thank God for something because he knows the command. Enter into God's praise with thankfulness. Then bring your position, petitions before the Lord. It's a good skill to, to learn. Good, good, um, good thing to say. Lord, I'm going to tell you how thankful I am, and then I will lay my heart before you. Okay, Janet, and then uh, Vida or David. Yeah, just, just a quick thought. Um... I heard a, heard a whole sermon lately on lamentation. <clears throat> and basically a lot of the psalms are lamentations. And the heart is poured out in grief and everything. But there's always an affirmation of who God is in it. It brings a person to a piece of joy, a place of joy. And in this particular service, the um, person giving the, the sermon had asked people to write lamentations. And three people were chosen. and. One was a man who lost his son to drug overdose. Another one recently lost mother. Another one lost a life partner of 60 years. And so they were asked to write a lamentation 
about their grief, but also to come to where God was in that. And it's he talked about, you know, grief being through all the grief that people experience in life, that we are brought to a place of joy, even though we're still grieving. You know, you lose your husband of 60 years, you don't immediately pop out of it and jump around praising the Lord. But at the same time, in that grief, you journey with the Lord, and there's joy in that. It's okay to be joyful when the most horrible thing in the world has happened to you. And and, and horrible things are happening everywhere. But COVID has brought that up too. And so I, I think it challenged me to say I should write some lamentations because I get the stuff out of my heart that I might be holding back from the Lord, and then he can bring me to a place of joy with whatever tragedy you or I have experienced in our life. And that's that's the purpose. Correct. Those are those are true and valid and real emotions which are given by God who also feels sorrow. Um, and again, it is a blessing and a gift to be able to find joy in places where uh, perhaps joy is 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 remote. David found that at the most extreme times in his life, everybody, yeah. you know, he was being sought to be killed. He was already anointed to be king. Yeah. His life was, I mean, it wasn't just a pretend thing. It was very real. That, very real. That he was, you know, and, and what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? God, are, are you really still with me? And then, but yes, you are. You are. He could write, maybe he wrote Psalm 23. I don't know. But it's, in you know, you prepare a table for me in the midst of my grief, my enemies, everything in my life that's wrong. There is a table for me to come to, and there are green pastures. I always admire those that go through the grieving process with courage and joy. And if it, if it is ever my turn to do so, may, may I have as much grace as, a, as I've seen some people before me. Uh, David Ovida. I was just going to say, Erin, on those last few verses, the we see there very we see very clearly that Erin um, gets angry with Moses gets angry with Aaron, and then Moses is content at the end of what how Aaron responds. But nothing in that last few verses, God isn't angry. Correct. So we see here, we see here, Aaron actually made, uh, Moses has made a big assumption on Aaron. But God's already known Aaron's heart. And then until Aaron explains it to Moses, that's only when he gets content. That's a, that's a really good point because there's a few times where we see Moses leaping to conclusions and uh, him getting angry when he shouldn't have and, and, and God saying, listen, you've actually acted inappropriately. A good, very good point. But God was annoyed a little bit in verse 2, though. Uh yeah okay when he when he fried a couple people <laughs> yeah 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 oh yeah no the 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 Lord the Lord was um justifiably angry in his right okay um Sherry and then Teresa okay um just um we were reading in church the First Thessalonians um five nineteen oh sixteen these glasses aren't as great as I thought they were it says <laughs> three simple things that really um summarizes just what we're supposed to do with our life and it has stuck to the ribs of my soul like over the last three weeks since we've read it it just uh they're short they're be joyful always the three words in a in a verse pray pray continually two words in a verse i always thought jesus wept was the shortest verse but 
it's it's the shortest amount of letters I think in the verse. But this one is pray continually, and then the third one is give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So as I've been walking through anything that's been coming in my path, I, that's the three things I do. I pray about it. Um, just turn it around to God, be joyful, find something to be joyful. I mean, you know, there's always something and uh, to be thankful. So like those three things are like such a beautiful um, thing to do with our life. And it's, and it says, this is God's will for you. And when we do it, it just makes our heart right. Yofi. Thank you. That's good. Teresa. Yeah, it's just a little thing, but um, eight years ago when we had my sister's funeral, I mean, of course, I was desperately sad because she was my only family, but the joy we had in that service was absolutely fantastic. And I have to say, because she was Catholic, we had it in the Catholic Church and lots of my church came there. We're Anglican and it was just a complete mix. And we sang Baruch Habab, Shem Adonai, and we had the shofar. And it was absolutely fantastic. And everybody was coming up afterwards and saying that was such a wonderful event and so full of joy. So even that that awfully sad event, it really was full of joy and praise and worship. And it was wonderful. There you go. I mean, incredible lessons from this chapter. Um, There is an appropriate way to worship the Lord. Let's have humility when before the Lord and not not pride. There is a holiness aspect to the Lord, which should never, never be downplayed. God is intensely holy. He is intensely good. He is intensely perfect. And he needs to be treated such in such a way. And that includes his name. Remember, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And the name of God is also intensely holy. Um, there's this special bread that we're supposed to eat in a certain place. You know, there's this, um, there's lots of themes that, are, that, that just pile up into, on top of each other in front of these narratives, and I really appreciate some of the narratives that occur uh, in, in these texts. All right, guys. So, brothers and sisters, thank you very much for wrestling the scriptures with us. Hope we've all learnt a little bit more. Um, we, have, uh, we have to continue to sojourn before the Lord comes together as brothers and sisters we're not always going to be happy but we need to be happy before the lord we need to be able to share joy hope and love with our brothers and sisters particularly to a world that has the inability to distinguish between sacred and profane that has absolutely no way to distinguish between false and true but we have to and we have to be able to 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 present that and and uh, admit that and proclaim that and uh, be prepared to suffer the slings and arrows um, let's also remember that um, God is holy and he does deserve to be worshipped in the way he wants. Now, we can use words like spirit and truth and things like that. That's fine, no problem. But do not give up the habit of meeting together, as uh, Timothy has instructed us. Um, find the, companion of, uh, the companionship of the saints, as the Didache instructs us, uh, instructs us to do. Uh, these are these are good things. And in saying thanks, it really recognizes the sovereignty of God, eh? That He's yes. in control. And in all things, let's. But when we when we come before the Lord, give thanks, and then bring our prayers and petitions petitions before the Lord. Okay, brothers and sisters, the Lord give you strength. 
The Lord give you grace to endure the dark days ahead. The Lord's light shine upon you and, and defend you from all evil, particularly your families as well. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in the new year. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.